we're actually launching into a new series over summer. Uh, a new series, uh, taking a break from Philippians, and a series that I'm really excited about that uh, Dave and I have put together. It's called Don't Waste Your... Dot, dot, dot. We're looking at God's purposes for us in a whole variety of different things. We're going to be looking at Sunday mornings and passion and suffering and decisions and a whole range of topics over nine Sundays. And this one's the first in the series that we're kicking off this morning, uh, aptly taken from the John Piper book, Don't Waste Your Life. And we're going to be looking at, at the purpose of our lives as Christians in Christ. And I feel for me it's like really timely. Like even as prepare, I was preparing this message this Sunday, you know, beginning of the year, I just, I don't know about you, I feel like I've been feeling so distracted. You know, holiday season, you would think it would be a time where you're particularly passionate for Jesus, where you've got more time to spend in the Word for Him. But I find for me it's, a, it's been a time where I've just been distracted with a lot of, and I've found my affections kind of somewhat waning. And so we need to be, as a church, regularly reminded, I believe, about what the purpose of life is, what we're here for as Christians. We need to be regularly reorientated and taken back to the foot of the cross. And so that's what we want to do this morning. This morning we're going to be reading from Matthew uh, chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. Matthew chapter 13. And we're just going to be reading one verse this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. When I read from Matthew 13, 44, and then I'll pray before we start. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we come before you with a real longing in our hearts. Lord, we, we've enjoyed a rich season of holidays and time with family and friends. But Lord, I am, have been, we often are distracted. Lord, I pray this morning for us as a church. Lord, would you help us to see the greatest treasure that there is, Lord, the treasure of knowing your Son, our Lord Jesus. Lord, may we savor him more this morning. May we treasure him and enjoy him even more fully than we did before we walked in this morning. Lord, by the power of your Spirit, we pray. Show us Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wanted to uh, share with you a bit of a story from uh, a time away in our honeymoon. In fact, a uh, time of returning home from our honeymoon and a bit of an epic journey that unfolded. Um, it involves a certain airline. I wanted to keep that airline anonymous this morning. Let's just say it's J-Star. Um, and uh, involves our trip home. We'd booked our flight home some two months uh, beforehand and um, trying to get some you know, choice meal deal with, with J-Star. And... Uh, and We'd, we'd found out about a few weeks after we'd booked the flight that the flight had subsequently been cancelled. But Jet, uh, J-Star, Jetstar, well, it's Jetstar, isn't it? Um, had, had kindly rebooked us into another flight, connecting flight from uh, Brisbane back down to Sydney, kindly booked us into another flight five hours later. So we had uh, more than a five-hour layover in Brisbane Airport. 
And initially I was discouraged and upset about it. But we thought, okay, no, that's fine. Let's stay positive. Let's focus on grace. Uh, we'll make an extended honeymoon and explore Brisbane. Isn't that great? Awesome. We can explore around Brisbane. That'll be a fantastic time. So we uh, arrive at the airport having had a beautiful honeymoon and fantastic wedding and everything back home to check our bags in. I think, you know, they'll check the bags in the whole way through. It'll be fine. Not a problem to find out that Jetstar don't check your bags in between connecting flights. And so we'd have to have the bags and check them in two hours before, which meant end of our day trip to Brisbane, Bris Vegas. So I thought, no, let's stay positive. That's fine. We'll enjoy beautiful Brisbane airport. I mean, how good's Brisbane Airport? It's fantastic. We'll see the sights. We'll have some coffee. We'll sit out. It'll be a great time. It'll be fantastic. And so we slowly, you know, we're hanging out. We're enjoying it. We're reminiscing on time and honeymoon. The time is stretching on and on and on and on. I guess the time when our flight is due to leave to come back to Sydney. And strangely, we haven't been called yet to board our flight. And we're thinking, oh, what's this? You know, this seems a bit unusual. You know, uh, we should be called or whatever. And time goes on and on and on. It's longer. It's after the time. The, the plane's already late. It says the science is boarding soon. And we get an announcement that says uh, there has been a mechanical uh, error on this flight that we're waiting for, uh, we will advise you in another 15 minutes as to what will happen and when boarding time will commence. So we think, oh, that's fine. We'll wait for 15 minutes. We wait another 30 minutes. There's another announcement that says, your flight has been cancelled. Please move to the uh, check-in lounge outside to rebook into the next available flight. So we join the mass kind of like, it's like epic, like, you know, uh, from something like the wildebeests in South Africa, migration outside and join this like 400 meter queue to wait to check into our next flight. And where I'm feeling like I'm getting more and more agitated and impatient as time goes on and on and on. And finally we get to the counter and I'm like teeming almost almost just absolutely losing the plot and the lady is, you know, she re-explains this, I'm so sorry, and books us into a flight a quarter to eight, you know, so it's another, I don't know, like eight or nine hour layover it turns out to be at the airport. But the saving grace is she gives us these coupons for sandwiches. So we think, oh, no, not so bad because I've got my sandwiches, right? I'll be fine. I've got some extra sandwiches. We'd already had dinner, but I thought, I can get these sandwiches and what I can do is I can save them, put them in my backpack and save them for my for my lunch tomorrow and then I'll save, you know, I won't have to buy sandwiches. So fantastic. We get these beautiful gourmet sandwiches, put them in, get on our flight. Our flight lands at Sydney and there's another plane sitting in our spot on the uh, tarmac. So we have to wait for 25 minutes in the plane before we can actually go into our spot. And it's already, you know, it's like ridiculous. It's 11 o'clock at night by the time we finally got in. And uh, anyway, we get out and think, I just want to get out of here. I just want to get home. So we jump in a taxi and think, I'll just, you know, we'll just catch a taxi straight home. We get home. We get out of the taxi. We wave goodbye. Rush our stuff inside and I realize I've left my back back in the taxi with my sandwiches and my iPad. It's like, no. And in that moment, I'll tell you what I felt like. I felt like the entire world is against me. Like everything is conspiring against me. And you know what? The other thing that happened in that moment is, is I completely forgot about all of God's goodness towards me in the, in the preceding weeks and months. The, the mercy he'd poured out upon us in our we- wedding is completely gone. As I was distracted and completely focused on me. Woe is me. A little Brendan self-pity moment. I don't know if you can relate to the holiday season and lots going on and just that feeling of distracted. There's, there's all these things going on and we so quickly forget our purpose. So this morning in our message, uh, don't waste your life. Really, we're going to be looking at three quick points uh, for those that take notes, our kingdom, our treasure, and our joy. Our kingdom, our treasure, our joy. But really one thing I want us to remember at the start of this year, one, one sort of refocus I want to have, one thing I want us to begin this year, a reminder I want us to have, to remember the joy that there is to be found in losing everything but gaining Christ. Friends, there is a sweet 
joy to be found in losing everything. We might lose everything we have, but if we gain Christ, there is, there is joy. And I want us to be refreshed by way of reminder this morning. So let's, let's begin with our first point, our kingdom. Jesus tells this parable and he begins, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of heaven. You know, Jesus has been in this section just teaching about the kingdom of heaven. What does this word kingdom of heaven even mean? Like, what's this expression? Um, it's, it's really a favorite expression of Jesus in the book of Matthew. It's used in the book of Matthew about 32 times, and 31 of those times it's Jesus himself uses it. And what basically it's all about is, in essence, uh, during that time, first century Palestine, the name of God, Yahweh, was sacred. People didn't want to use the name of God. And so one thing that rabbis, religious teachers, would often do is they'd replace the name of God with something else. And a common thing they'd replace the name of God with is the heavens, heaven, as another way of referring to God. And so when we read the kingdom of heaven, it's the same as saying, it's kind of a really ultra-Jewish religious way of saying the kingdom of God. It's the same thing. Kingdom of heaven means kingdom of God. And, and Jesus has been teaching throughout this uh, chapter 13 and on the bits before and after it all about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He's been teaching that people respond differently to the message of the kingdom of heaven as it's preached in in uh, Matthew 13, 1 to 23, with the, with the parable of the, the sower. He's been teaching that, that people of the kingdom, of God's kingdom, they live amongst uh, people that are unrighteous. It's, in this parable, he talks about the weeds mixed in with the good crop. He's been teaching that the kingdom of, grow, the kingdom of God is growing from something really tiny in that parable of the mustard seed. Well, what does Jesus mean by the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven? Like, what's it all about? Well, the kingdom of God is all about really one thing, and that is it's really about God's reign. And it's God's reign now, and it's also God's reign not yet. It's God's reign now in the book of Matthew and throughout Scripture in, in probably three different ways. Uh, it's his reign as the sovereign ruler over the whole earth. In Matthew 6:26, Jesus says, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they, uh, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And then in verse 33 he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus says, guys, why do you spend your time worrying about clothes and where you're going to live? You know, the world worries about these things, but the kingdom of God, seek it first. God, don't you know the kingdom of God is about God who rules and reigns over the whole earth and everything in it? Well, the second way in which the kingdom of God is now is it's his reign over us as his subjects who, who should, by inference, obey him and follow him. Jesus says in the next chapter in Matthew 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The kingdom of God is about his reign now, his reign as the ruler over us, his subjects, who should, who should, be, who should be obeying him. 
but it's also the place where his reign is, is being acknowledged, where people are coming to, to know Jesus and follow him, where they're coming into submission with the will of God and repentance and belief. I mean, Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 4, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And again, he says in teaching his disciples about how to pray, how does he say they should pray? He says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom coming, God's kingdom coming, is the same as, according to Jesus, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. They're parallel ideas. It's where his, his reign is being acknowledged on the earth. So it's happening now. The kingdom is here now, but it's also not yet. It's something that Jesus is teaching. It's coming. It's coming soon. And so Jesus says, he says, when the Son of Man, that's Jesus talking about himself. It's one of his favorite ways of talking about himself. He says, when I come, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, in Matthew 25, 31, right at the, book of, at the end of the book, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the what? Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? The kingdom is coming. It's, it's now and it's not yet. It's coming. And Jesus says, there's a day coming when I will return to the earth and all people will be gathered before me. I'll separate out those that don't know me from those that do. And those that do, I'll say, come into this new kingdom where I rule and reign over the whole earth. It's a beautiful picture. But you might be asking, sitting there this morning, but Brendan, what has all this talk of kingdom got to do with anything? I mean, how is this relevant? Well, the thing I want to remind us afresh this morning, the way in which I just believe it's so relevant for us, is that we get distracted and we forget that all that we see around us, it's not as it seems. We are part of this great kingdom, this divine kingdom, this kingdom of God that will soon be made complete. You see, I've come back uh, from being a wedding, being married and our honeymoon, which is fantastic to, to life, you know, as a married man, it's fantastic. But I've just experienced this new flood of distractions and things that just start to take your attention and vie for your attention. One being the Delta II uh, sofa from King Furniture. You know, like we've been looking for uh, like a new couch to fit in our, we've got this small unit, fantastic unit in Waitara, and we've been looking for this new couch that would just snugly fit into the corner. Uh, and so we've been looking high and low trying to find this uh, good couch, and we, we, we stumbled into this ridiculously overpriced uh, place, King Furniture, it's expensive, you know, top-notch, it's a steel frame, guaranteed for seven years, uh, beautiful, you know, handmade, Australian-made, upholstered, you know, fabric, couch, um, but the clincher is that the seats 
you know, have like these like gas lift arms and they lift up and you can store things underneath. And so I just, I don't know, I just find myself during the day just kind of daydreaming a little bit about the king's sofa and I start, you know, maybe, maybe it's not that expensive and maybe if, you know, I, you know, we save a little bit here, you know, we could, we could make it happen and, and just, well, maybe I could find it really cheap online and then I suddenly I, I leave, you know, what I was doing and I'm suddenly online looking for, you know, a secondhand copy of this, this lounge and suddenly my thoughts and all my thinking is just completely distracted by a sofa. Uh, I don't know if you can relate to this sort of distraction. I mean, it's this culture we live in with endless distractions. I mean, social media constantly vying for our, our, our attention in a world of nothingness. It's, it's work, it's TV, it's sport, it's kids. I mean, you open up the newspaper and what's like 50% of it's either on sport or it's on property prices and the value of the dollar. It's endless Distraction. It's the world that says, this is all there is. There is nothing else but this. That's it. So you should just enjoy it and make the most of it because tomorrow it's gone. It's the world that says, live in this in such a way to maximize your happiness for you. It's all about you. And so we form these, these tiny little goals in our lives that that usually just revolve around us, like, like, for instance, making a life goal to attain a Delta II sofa. But the reality that we live in is just so, so far different. The, the real world, actually, the world that sometimes we don't see quite so clearly is so different. I mean, just this week, uh, Charlotte and I were doing devotions together, and we read John chapter 20. Um, John chapter 20, verse 26, Jesus has... has reappeared to his disciples. I was, just, I was just moved by this. I was just freshly provoked by this. John 20, 26, Jesus says, or it says, John says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the do- doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, hear this, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side don't disbelieve believe and Thomas answered him my Lord and my God the true reality is that our Lord Jesus came and he died and friends now he's alive and he is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven and he is coming again he is coming again in all of his glory and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that is reality and we live in the in-between time what is time and time again referred to in scripture as a brief moment before he comes before we join him in eternity that is reality but we live in a world full of distractions and we begin to we begin to forget that we we're not home here and so we 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 begin to spend our money like the world is our home in the same way as our neighbors. And we begin to use our time like the world is our home in the same way as our neighbors. And we begin to be filled with anxiety and worry about worldly things like the world is our home, just like our neighbors. And we, we forget that true reality is just like a massive dam. You know, I was reading this week about the Jinping Dam in Sichuan province in China. It's one of the largest man-made structures in the earth. It's 350 meters high, and it's 570 meters across. Man-made structure. It holds 
maximum capacity of 7.7 billion cubic meters of water. Huge. Now imagine standing before that dam alone. And now imagine a dam that's not 350 meters wide and 570 meters across, but imagine a, a dam that's 15 kilometers high and 15 kilometers across. And imagine standing there alone as the wall crumbles and that wall of water comes towards you. Friends, that is reality for those in the world who do not know Christ. They face the wrath of God like that wall of water completely, completely alone. That is reality. And we worry about the Delta II or our grades at school or, or you know, that promotion at work or our next holiday. You know, the, our problem is not that our, our, our vision is wrong. It's that our vision is so often, our goals are so often, they're too small. We worry about small things. When the reality is, we, we, reality is so much greater. You know, if you're a Christian, you're part of a kingdom that is, is so much greater than anything in this world, a kingdom of God. And we need, we need reminders, we need to refocus, we need to remember that our kingdom is so much greater than anything in this world. That's point one, our kingdom. Well, let's move on to point two, our, our treasure. Well, more than just something we're a part of, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. Let's, let's read it again. The kingdom of heaven, Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven, he says, is like a treasure. It's like a treasure. It's more than something we're a part of. It's a treasure. Now, I just want you to just imagine being that guy there. Just imagine being a poor farmer, working your everyday job in a field, harvest in that field, toiling away, preparing the soil, boring, monotonous work. And suddenly as you're toiling away at that soil, thud, you hear something. And you sort of remove the dirt and you try to scramble to uncover it and you find this big box and you open the box and inside is this like gleaming treasure. You found this amazing treasure and you look around like to see if anyone's seen you and there's no one there at all. So you quickly put it back in the hole and you like you just cover it up and make sure that you know it's it looks as normal as possible. And then you run and you just try and sell everything you possibly own. You like you get rid of everything that you've got. Like you know your cart, your everything, your house, you, you sell it all. And your friends, you can imagine your friends looking on and and saying, you know, what on earth are you doing? Like are you at it? you lost your mind. You you're selling all your stuff. What are you doing? You're crazy. And, and you say, no, I've just got to buy this field. I just, I just feel it. I've got a good vibe about this field. I need to buy this field. Like, have you lost your mind? And you're like, no, I just got a connection, special connection with the field. Like, there's something good. I know it's something good about this field. And, 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 and you go and you give the money to the owner of the field and you bought that field. Can you imagine the feeling knowing that that field is yours as you come and dig it and open up and find that treasure and know that treasure is yours? I mean, you can almost... Feel how ecstatic this guy is at stumbling across this treasure. What's it all about? Well, just as a caveat, it's not that Jesus is trying to say you can buy your way into the kingdom of God. No, that's not the point. That's not what he's saying. He's saying 
the kingdom of God. I think, actually, I think John Piper puts it best. So I'm going to run with what John Piper says. I don't think I can improve on this. John Piper says, the kingdom of God is so valuable that losing everything on earth but getting the kingdom is a happy trade-off. That's what this is about. The kingdom of God is so valuable, something so precious, that even if you were to lose everything you own, but get the kingdom, it would be a happy exchange. Being part of God's, God's reign is so immensely valuable that even if it costs you absolutely everything, but you got God's kingdom, it would be absolutely worth it. Well, if you're sitting here this morning and you're not a Christian, like you wouldn't normally go to church, but you are sitting in, in our church, you might be sitting there and thinking, seriously? Like, why? I mean, what's so amazing about being, being part of God's kingdom? I mean, what, what's all the fuss about? Why, why is that a treasure? Like, being part of God's reign, it kind of sounds dull. Well, the reason why being part of God's kingdom is such a treasure, firstly, is because we're doubly undeserving. By doubly undeserving, I mean that we are first God's creatures. In the, in the very first sentence of the Bible, it, God says, he says, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, and the message of scripture is that God created everything we see, including people. He created the whole earth and he created it good. And so just like a pot has no right to complain to a potter or a pot or a potter owes nothing to a pot whatsoever. So are we to God, God owes us nothing at all. He made us. He owns us. So we're undeserving of being a part of his kingdom. But secondly, we're doubly undeserving because we're not just created by God, but we've turned our back on God. We've rebelled against God. And the Bible's word for that is that we're sinners. We've rebelled against God. And so because we've rebelled against God, because we've turned our back on God, and because God is our creator, God's decree is that we should be destroyed. We should face eternal punishment. We should face that wall of water, 15 kilometers high and 15 kilometers across, all by ourselves. Yet God doesn't leave us to face his wrath Alone, he sends his very own son, God the Son. God himself comes and dies on a cross in our place. And as he cries out, it's finished. It's as though that wall of water is completely drained at the foot of his cross. And we're saved from the wrath of God. But... The kingdom, being part of the kingdom of heaven is not a treasure just because we we get saved from God's wrath. I mean, if that was the case, we'd be be not worshipping God, but the things he gives us, we'd be just worshipping God because of what we get out of it. And and that's not the reason why why being a part of the kingdom of God is is a treasure. No, being a part of the kingdom of God is a treasure is because God brings us into fellowship with himself. The purpose of the cross was that God might form a relationship once more with us, a relationship that was long broken, that he might commune with us as 
family, as brothers and sisters, that we might enjoy Him and He might enjoy us for all of eternity. That is the reason why the kingdom of God is such a treasure. That the creator of the universe not only sends His Son to die in our place, but calls us to be His children. Isn't that amazing? I mean, think about it. The one who made everything that is pleasurable, every beautiful beach, Every moment where you stand in awe, every time you've experienced just sheer joy and happiness and satisfaction, the one who created every moment of that joy, the one from whom all things that are good flow, longs to, has made a way for you to be in communion with him forever. What a treasure. What fantastic news. It, it's a treasure that it is so unspeakable that it's worth any cost. It's worth giving your life to a hundred times over. I mean, it makes sense of why people would risk their lives for the sake of the gospel, doesn't it? You know, this week I was reading about this guy who's the first missionary from the U.S., a guy called Adoniram Judson. He uh, has this amazing conversion story, and uh, he was going to leave to Burma to be a missionary. And he met a girl called Anne who... He had asked to be his wife, but before they got married, they wanted permission from her father to go, knowing that they'd probably never, ever return home to see their family again. And, and this is the letter he writes to her dad to ask permission to go and uh, serve for the sake of the gospel overseas. I was nearly moved to tears reading this. I just had to share it with you. Adoniram Judson writes, he says, I have to now to ask you whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all this in the hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness brightened with acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Saviour from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Isn't that so touching? Where does that come from? Here is a man who's seen the unspeakable treasure of knowing Christ, that he would ask someone else to give the thing most precious to him for them to go and serve overseas. This is the transforming effect of the gospel, friends. This is not a tragic waste at all because Jim Elliot is right when he says famously, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We have a treasure so precious. It's worth a hundredfold more. more it's worth more than a hundred lives over. It's a treasure so valuable that nothing we have will ever compare. The treasure of being in communion with Christ forever. Well, lastly, our joy. As we move to this last point, I, 
I just want us to pause and I just want to ask you a question. When was the last time you paused to remember how sweet a treasure knowing Jesus Christ is? When was, when was the last time you just sat there and just enjoyed being in His presence? Pouring out your heart to Him or meditating on His sweet words. When was the last time you did that? Well, it's not just that we're part of His heavenly kingdom, but that we have Christ's sweet treasure who is also our joy, a source of joy. I just want to read to you again. I just can't stop reading this. It's such a sweet verse. Matthew 13, 44-hour passage. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. There are three words that are key to understanding this passage. And those three words are in his joy. Giving up everything for this man, it wasn't a sacrifice at all for him. It was a scandal. He was a poor man. Nothing he had compared to the treasure. It wasn't pain for him. It was a, it was a, a sweet privilege to give up his property. You know why? Because he saw the value of this treasure, how unspeakable its worth was, and that nothing he had could possibly match its worth. And so I just want to remind us again that given everything to Jesus Christ, for, for, for us, it, it's, it's a joy, it's a privilege. And Matthew 19, 16, it's a famous verse. It's when Jesus, he meets a, a, a young rich man. And the rich man comes to him and says, you know, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus goes off about you know, following the rules of God. And he says, yeah, yeah, I've done all that. And then Jesus says to him, he says, well, one thing you lack, sell all of your possessions, give them to the poor, and then come and follow me and you'll be perfect. I think we look on and we hear that story and there's a bit of us that thinks, Jesus, that's it's such a hard ask. It's such a... It's such a tough thing to ask this guy to give away everything he has. It's, it almost seems a little bit, it almost seems a little bit unfair, doesn't it? It almost seems like it's, it's just a little bit too much to, to ask of him. But what Jesus is saying to this man, he says, you know what? I want what's best for you. I want what's best for the poor and for you. So, so, so go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and they'll be better off. And come and follow me and you'll be better off. I want to give you a greater joy. I want you to experience something more of me, something, something even greater than all the wealth that you have. I want you to experience something of a true treasure. You know, so often we think that pursuing Jesus and following him and, and following joy, pursuing pleasure and enjoyment are two separate things, but they're not. Our true joy is found in pursuing God. You know, as Christians, this time of year, we make lists, don't we, of duties of things we need to do more, like we need to read the Bible more, you know, pray more, memorize more. But we forget the sweet joy it is to know God and, and know Christ and be in fellowship with Him, and we turn something that is meant to be a privilege into pain. You know, 
Spending time with the Lord was never meant to be a painful thing for us. We forget the kingdom that we're part of. We forget the privilege we have to commune with God. We, f- we forget the treasure it is to know Christ. We forget the great war that we're a part of. You know, John Piper in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, he talks about World War II and, and how people joyfully gave up so many things. They gave up money. They gave up possessions, owning many things. He tells a story of a football match where they paused the whole game to search for a lost hair clip on the field. Such was the preciousness of metal at that time. And people didn't give up these things with begrudgingly or with a, with a, with a, a sake of, you know, oh, this is you know, something I, I must do, but they, they did it with a sense of joy because they saw it was part of a greater cause. They saw it as contributing to the national effort, something that was going on a greater thing than themselves. And so it was a joy for them to give to this cause. And, and John Piper, he sums it up so nicely when he says of the even greater cause that we have, he says, the greatest cause in the world is joyfully rescuing people from hell, meeting their earthly needs, making them glad in God, and doing it with a kind, serious pleasure that makes Christ look good like the treasure he is. No war on earth was ever fought for a greater cause or greater king. Isn't that true? when When we see the treasure that we have in Christ, the things that we give for the sake of him don't seem like such a cost. They seem like a joy because it's for the one we love, for Christ. But our cause is not something that's just out there. We have a cause right here in Sydney as well, don't we? Seeing God's glory made known again this year, privilege 2015 again. And we have an opportunity to serve the creator of the universe in his cause of winning Sydney to Christ. It's a privilege, it's a cause for joy here in Sydney. And this week I was reading about, about the great awakening, sorry, the great revival that happened in Wales, the Welsh revival. And I couldn't help but be stirred with faith again for this city. There's a uh, a historian at the time called Thomas Phillips. In his book, The Welsh Revival, he writes this. He says, It is impossible to ascertain the exact number of new members admitted since the commencement of the revival, a little more than 12 months ago. It is difficult to even give an approximate estimate. I'm not aware that a complete list has been prepared or that anyone has hazarded a conjecture on the subject. When I think of the hundreds awakened in single places and the thousands in separate counties, I am led to conclude that at least 50,000 persons have taken upon the yoke of Christ during the past year in the Principality of Wales. Isn't that amazing? 50,000 people committing to follow Christ in the space of one year. The God of the Welsh Revival is the God of this city. But we have a privilege to serve, a joy to serve and partake as we wait and see what he will do in this city as he moves to win this city for Christ. 50,000 people for our God is, is a small feat. And so reading this, I'm just filled with faith afresh for our city and what God might have planned in and through this church, in this city, as we faithfully press on praying for the city and proclaiming the gospel. It's a cause worth giving everything to. We are not only part of a great kingdom, but we have a great treasure. And not only do we have a great treasure, but that treasure will be our joy 
for all eternity. I just want to close by addressing two, two categories of people this morning. Firstly, to the most of us, that's people that are trusting in Christ already. I just trust that afresh at the start of the year, this year, that, that you've been encouraged, you've been reminded of the joy to be found in losing everything but gaining Christ. That's my prayer for us. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for, for us as a church. That we might in, increase in joy in Christ. But I'm mindful as well that here this morning, maybe there's people that wouldn't usually call yourself a Christian that maybe don't know Christ. And, and maybe, maybe, you're like, maybe you're like the man in this parable and you've stumbled across this church. You've found yourself here this morning. You've stumbled across the treasure hidden in the field and you've seen it and it's a treasure and it's glorious and it's beautiful. Or maybe for you, you're like in the following verses in the parable of the pearl merchant, a man who's familiar with, with treasure, who's familiar with pearls, but, but sees an exquisite pearl, a beautiful pearl that is just far beyond anything he's seen before. Maybe you're like that person this morning. And you've been searching and now you see an exquisite pearl. I want to encourage you this morning. I don't believe it's an accident that you're here this morning. I believe that's divine providence. I believe it's a sign that God is calling you to himself. And I want to encourage you this morning, give your life to this treasure. It's the only treasure that will truly satisfy you. It's the greatest treasure in the world, knowing Christ and enjoying him forever. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Let's pray that God might increase our joy in Christ. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word, your powerful word that addresses us, that cuts to the heart. Lord, we pray. Help us to see afresh more clearly Christ. Help us to cling less sweetly to things of this this world, Lord. They will not satisfy, Lord. The distractions, the constant nagging that pulls us away from Christ. Help us to see that Christ is risen, that he's coming again, that he'll soon be ours for all of eternity. But our friends, our family that don't know him are perishing, are facing that wall of water alone. Lord, help us to be moved to compassion, Lord. Help us to reorientate our priorities afresh at the start of this year, to be faithful to Christ, to enjoy him more, to sit at his feet more, to look to him more, Lord. May may the sweetness of Christ invade every aspect of our lives, Lord. May, May joy abounding be our song forever and ever, Lord, in him. Show us Christ, we pray in his name. Amen.